Welcome to the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast, bringing you weekly discussions designed to help you grow your business and create the lifestyle you desire. Elevate your business with proven strategies from CPAs and business advisors. We discuss real-world challenges solved with actionable steps that get you real results, both in business and building the life you desire. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us for episode number 54 of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast brought to you by PJS and co-CPAs. As you know, we've been focused on the dental industry for the past few weeks, and this episode will actually be concluding our dental series for now. We're doing things a little differently this week. Today, we are featuring an interview with Jamie Staley, partner of PJS and co-CPAs, virtual CFO, and our very own resident dental specialist. She sits down with an expert who helps guide dentists in the sale of their own dental practice. We are so excited to bring you this interview because it is loaded with tips and information you need to consider along your entire journey of practice ownership. If you ever think you may want to sell your practice, even if it's not in the next year or two, this is for you. Before I hit play here, I do want to remind everyone that Jamie put together a webcast featured on the Dental Academy of Continuing Education website. If you're in need of CE and also want to learn three ways to lead a profitable practice while working fewer hours, you can find that webcast at pjscpas.com forward slash dental dash CPA. Now, without further ado, let's get started. I am so excited to welcome our guest this week. He has over a decade of experience growing, enhancing, and brokering businesses in various industries, including the dental industry. His wife is a dentist, and in 2015, he applied his extensive business experience to helping her start her practice from scratch. It has since grown to seven operatories, 20 employees, and three full-time dentists. He understands and appreciates the unique challenges doctors face as they start up, grow, and eventually transition their practices. He is committed to helping doctors at all stages of their careers. I'd like to extend a big warm welcome to the Director of Practice Sales at Joseph Rossi & Associates, George Bozanellis. Thank you so much for joining us today to share your insight and your experiences. Thanks for having me. We are really excited to have you. So if we can start before we get into kind of the questions that we have on the topic today, if you can tell us a little bit more about your background um, and your career path that brought you where you are today. Sure. So thanks again for having me. A little bit about me. I'm currently the Director of Practice Sales at Joseph Rossi & Associates. We're a healthcare advisory firm that specializes in providing real estate and practice transition services to healthcare professionals, including dentists, physicians, and veterinarians. 90% of our clients are dentists, so uh, we're very well known around the Chicago dental community for that reason. And uh, after earning my MBA at Loyola, I started at a media marketing firm for a few years, doing management, leading some large teams, and started my own firm for a bit, uh, doing marketing and advising Fortune 500 companies. And later on, I worked as a director of sales and marketing at a German specialty tool manufacturer. So during that time, uh, my wife finished dental school and her pediatric dentistry uh, residency and She was working as an associate for a few years before making the decision to start her own practice. We took the project on together in 2015, and uh, after about a year of planning, we opened her practice in Frankfurt, Illinois. So it was a lot of hard work, still is, but it's been a lot of fun. And 
after a year, we expanded and later on hired two additional amazing doctors and we're still growing. So all the while, her friends were asking me for advice on opening up their own practices and running their practices. So I realized I really enjoyed the, the business side of dentistry so much that I wanted to do it full time professionally, which is what led me to my role today, advising doctors on their long term strategy of transitioning their practice to new ownership, as well as advising doctors on their growth strategies through acquisitions and startups. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, we we do visit your wife's office with my two kids. So um, we appreciate the child oriented um, environment there. I have one that is especially not excited and not keen on going to the dentist. So it really it helps him out a little bit, get distracted by fun things. So that's been great. You know, I'm very excited about having this discussion today too, George, because I work with dental practice owners for the last eight, nine years now. And I'm a lot, a lot of times I'm seeing the side, um, some of my dental practice owners are purchasing businesses. So I see, mm-hmm. you know, the purchase agreements and I see um, some of the things going into that. And, and one of my dental practice owners will purchase patient lists. Um, so I've seen a lot from that perspective, but I don't have a lot of knowledge on the selling perspective. So I'm really curious about you know, what we're going to talk about today as well, personally, and hopefully we can provide a lot of good information for those doctors out there that are considering selling their practice or not sure what they should be thinking about. So hopefully we can, we can bring some good information to to them. Yeah, yeah, look forward to it. So my first question I'm going to start out with is about value. So a lot of business owners, and I'm assuming dental practice owners are in the same boat, often have, um, a very high expectation of the value of their business or their practice. And so, you know, sometimes they're not happy when they find out sort of that reality because truly your your business is worth what someone's willing to pay for it. So can you talk to us a little bit about how practices are valued? Well, you took the words right out of my mouth. There, there is a saying, <laughs> the, the value of something is the price at which it would change hands between a willing buyer and a willing seller. So that's the value. Uh, but nobody likes hearing that. So I, then I get into the technical and, and really, I mean, the, the market is truly what dictates the price. But when we do a practice valuation, it's really just to, to provide, provide some guidance and understanding on where, where things can head here. So the purpose is to calculate what the estimated earnings are and using a few different methods, determine the fair market price given the current market conditions. So there's a couple different methods to value a practice uh, to start we gather a lot of data. So we analyze the previous year's tax returns, usually three of them, three years uh, back, the profit and loss statements, and a few practice reports. And we try to figure out the profitability of the practice or EBITDA uh, for the financial folks out there. And for those of you that don't know what that is, that's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So uh it's important to calculate the, the profitability for a solo doctor owner and for a hypothetical investor. They're very different types of buyers and uh, they look at the purchase quite, quite differently. So it's very common uh, for practice owners to, to run expenses through the practices like auto leases, travel, cell phone, family on the payroll, other items. And I'm sure their CPA carefully guides them on how far to, to push the tax advantages of, of business ownership. But it's uh, our job uh, to find those and, and make the adjustments. So we call those addbacks because we go through and add those back uh, into the profit. So we figure out the weighted average over three years, use three different approaches, and we average those out and we get a final appraised value. 
there's a lot more technical stuff behind it, but that's kind of the gist of it. And even though we're uh, able to, to calculate a, a value, there's a bit of subjectivity to uh, the practice price as well. Like, for example, if, if uh, it's in a desirable location, there's a good payer mix, there's a good mix of procedures performed in the practice, uh, all of these can influence where the, the price ends up heading. So even though it might be worth something on paper, these are kind of the subjective aspects of, of the value of that, the practice. And as an example, we have a, a practice right now that's so desirable that we had gotten six offers in, in just a few weeks. And we have another practice that, while actually twice as profitable, it's so unique that the buyer pool for that practice is, is very thin. So it might uh, take a little while. We'll, we'll find someone eventually, but uh, it, it could take some time. And it could influence the price because the market is, is so thin. We might just find one right person and, and we'll, we'll negotiate the value as best we can, but there's not a whole lot of uh, bidding going on, on on that one, even though it is very profitable. So th this is where having expert advice on the market comes into play. Evaluation is only part of the process. Getting a deal done is, is very much a, a different animal. And as a, a side note, uh, Fortunately, lenders are very uh, friendly to dentists, and they typically finance 100% of the purchase price of a practice. So a buyer doesn't really have to put any money down uh, unless real estate's involved. Uh, the default rates are on dental loans are, are very low, something like 0.1%. So the banks are, are confident in lending the money, assuming there's sufficient cash flow to cover the debt. So that's kind of the gist of the value. And, and there's a lot more to it, but and I'm happy to answer questions to kind of go in depth on that. Yeah, sure. You know, I've heard that there's kind of this rule of thumb that practices are worth 70% of collections. Um, when you do these more, you know, in-depth analysis, do you find that that's true? Is that close? Is it really depend on a lot of different factors? Is that a good rule of thumb for, you know, dental practice owners to use? Or what would you say to that? Yeah, that's, uh, I hear that a lot. And it's the simplest but least scientific way to value a, a practice. And it, it is true that many practices do end up being worth that amount, but how you come to that number is what matters. And I'll give you an example here. So practice A collects a million dollars and after all the expenses and paying the doctors and everybody, the, power, the profit to the owner is $250,000. And then practice B also collects a million but the profit is $50,000. Would you pay the same for those practices? No. Probably not. So it is frustrating when I do a full valuation and it ends up being 70% of collections, <laughs> but, right. but, but it, it, you, can't, you can't rely on just that. That's not a method. That's right. just the answer. And, and that's not good enough for a bank. And the banks do have limits to what they'll lend. And so that does tend to cap the prices. And some banks do have a hard 70% or 75% limit. So uh, that, that might be the extent of what you can get unless you're selling to like a corporate type of group that can pay far more than, than a, a typical buyer. So it's, a, it's an okay rule of thumb, but you're probably not going to sell your business for that with just that random calculation, right? If anyone says, give me a value and they say, all right, there, here's, here's five, I'll charge you five grand and here you go. That's uh, <laughs> <Right>. 70%. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you should go the other way. Right. Yeah. More detail, more, more background. I mean, because likely those buyers are going to be asking some of those questions too and want to 
understand, you know, why you think the value is that high potentially. And you're going to have to substantiate it with probably more than, oh, here's a rule of thumb. Exactly. And to a buyer, especially what they're looking for is, is the profitability of the practice. And can they afford to cover the debt on the practice? And is there any anything left over for them after they they pay the debt? And so it's it's a complicating process and there is a, a bit of negotiation and persuasion and, and all of that. So I try not to rely on, on just straight percentages, but I mean, we had a, just today we had a letter of intent come in and, and they're essentially basing it on that. <laughs> okay. Right. That's fine. So we'll, we'll do what we can. Interesting. Super interesting. Yeah. So can you talk to us a little bit about how long it takes to typically sell a practice from, you know, the beginning stages kind of through those ending. And I'm sure there's a lot of time that you may be wanting to think through some of those things, but, you know, just in general, from the time you decide to sell and start moving on that to um, the actual close date. Yeah. So uh, it's important that you have patience during this process. It can take anywhere from three months to a year, sometimes longer if it's a specialty practice, but I'd say six months uh, on average. And uh, to put it in perspective, if we received an offer on a practice today, it, it takes about two months just to sort out the legal paperwork that goes into the transaction. So it, it, there's no way around it. it. It does take some time. And it also depends on the motivation of the parties. So if a seller is highly motivated, we can move quickly. But the key here is finding the right buyer and then persuading that buyer to, to make an offer. So someone could we have a practice right now, the only price on it is just taking over the lease. So essentially the practice is free, but I don't have any takers yet because I have to make sure that it's a fit for that person. They're ready to build it up. They're ready to, uh, they want to be in that area. So, so it, it's, it's not as simple as, is. it's not like as fluid as the housing market where it, someone's going to buy it if you lower the price enough. So it could take okay. some time. And, and, and I mean, the record I've seen is, is 30 days. I've had a few that are 60 to 90 days and, and some that uh, it's taken multiple years. So it depends. Sounds about right. Some yeah. things are quick. Some things take longer. It depends. So, um, but that's a help, helpful perspective just in general, just to get people a sense Obviously, in today's environment here in 2020 with COVID-19, I'm sure that's had an impact somewhat on practice sales. I know dental offices were closed for several months. Um, have you seen an impact on practice sales due to COVID-19? So for a few months, dental practices were, were shut down. There was no cash flow. I'm sure all your clients were calling you frantically, trying to figure out what to do, what their options are, and all of that. So uh, during that time period, because there's no cash flow of the practices, banks are unwilling to lend on any transactions. So it's completely froze the market up for uh, a brief period of time. And it was quite depressing. So, uh, however, the government stepped in, there are a lot of uh, uh, loans and, and grants and all of that. And all the while we were still able to continue showing practices and negotiating deals, but we had to wait until they actually opened and we can show the banks that there's some revenue coming in so they feel comfortable again. So with that being said, uh, the, right now, the dental practice transitions market is, is very strong. We've had 
numerous doctors contact us to let us know that, that COVID had finally pushed them over the edge to sell their practices. So there were a lot of new practices that came to market over the summer. And buyers were also equally motivated, if not more so, because COVID might have changed their employment situation, their hours got changed, their compensation might have changed. So they, they're they inclined to, to become an owner. So a lot of buyers thought they were going to get a COVID discount, but that, that really yeah. has not been the case in our experience because the practices have bounced back pretty strong. It's been a good summer. Yeah, we're for- that really, yeah, really strong. Some of the best months in the past six to 12 months. So yes, people are, are needing their dental services. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it's quite remarkable. And there's a lot of catching up they had to do because it was two months of of hygiene or treatment that that needed to be kind of all shoved in over the over the summer. So they're playing catch up. So the prices have been unaffected, assuming that they're they they've recovered. So as long as they recovered financially, COVID's had no influence on, on the purchase price. So the the market is pretty vibrant right now, which is great uh, for everybody. And August for us has been our, our busiest transaction month ever. So the future of dental practice uh, market uh, looks to be okay as long as we don't have a, another shutdown, which yeah. I'm crossing my fingers that that isn't yeah. the case. Yes, I, I am, I'm with you. So if, if there's a dental practice owner out there considering you know selling in the near future, what are some things that they can do today um, to make their practice more valuable? So maybe they're not ready to sell you know, today, but they think in three to five years, they're going to sell. And is there anything they can do today to make changes or improvements to make their practice more valuable when they do go to sell it? There, there's a, a few things. And the, the simplest way is to, to figure out how to increase profit. Because that's, to most buyers, that's kind of what matters. But uh, it doesn't hurt to keep the practice up to date either. Uh, just like curb appeal help sell houses, the same psychological rules apply for a dental practice. So that could make it more appealing and desirable for uh, folks to come in and consider buying the practice. And and if, by virtue of having higher quantity of people interested, you're likely to get more offers and hopefully get more of a bidding type of situation and, and more competitive price. However, if you're looking to sell soon, let's say in the next year or two, I don't believe it's worth spending a lot of money to do any major renovations or large equipment purchases because it, you're unlikely to make it back in the sale. If you spend like $100,000 doing a full renovation, that might not be reflected in the sales price if you, you kind of did it before and after. It, it might bring some more people to the table. You might be able to sell it faster, but you might not be selling it for more per se. So I, I'd carefully think about it if you're uh, moving on soon. In the end, though, what most influences the price is the profitability of the practice. Most young doctors these days are graduating with hundreds of thousands of dollars in dental school debt. They might be working somewhere, making good money, but with the high debt payments, along with additional debt incurred from the practice purchase, they're very sensitive to the financial performance of, of the practice. So it's, it's important to analyze your expenses and, and really just kind of keep them under control. And if you could do that two to three years ahead of time, uh, ahead of a sale, that helps because every everyone looks at three years of tax returns. So depending on your specialty, your supplies expense should be under 10% of collections. Your staff wages should be around 20 to 25% at the most, ideally. Uh, there's other statistics online that you can refer to as well. Uh, 
the area where I, I see the, the biggest impact to the profitability of the practice is staff wages. Uh, over, the, over the years, it's, it's common to give a lot of raises and lose sight on, on productivity. And where if you kind of lose focus, the practice revenues might stay flat or even decline while your wages and other expenses are going up and up and your profits getting squeezed. It's just kind of a slow motion thing. Most people don't realize it's happening. And I'm not suggesting firing anyone or decreasing anyone's compensation, but I do recommend working with an advisor to kind of carefully monitor those trends and prevent them from getting out of control. Uh, and I, I have an example of a recent case. Uh, we have a client with a beautiful practice, collects about 700000 And uh, on its face, I mean, it's, it's super desirable in a good area, has plenty of operatories, but the, the staff wages were and overhead were, were just very high. And there isn't uh, much left over for the doctor. The doctor wasn't making a lot of money for all that work. And, and all the potential buyers are apprehensive about buying the practice and cutting staff and wages immediately after a purchase because they don't want to be bad people like yeah. that. Okay. You know, they, they feel bad. So we, we, well. <laughs> yeah, hey, I bought the practice, by the way, all three of you have to go here. So, right. now, yeah. uh, so we, we've had a hard time with this practice because on its face, it, it is very good, but the expenses kind of got out of control. So fortunately, we, we did find a buyer, but the price was far lower than it, it could have been uh, if those expenses would have been better managed a few years prior to the sale. And I don't know if you've you've seen that at all or kind of encountered that or tried to nudge people to start making some moves. And Yeah, we definitely take a look at, you know, benchmarking to the industry and just trying to keep some of those typical percentages down, dental supplies, especially lab fees, staff wages, those industry benchmarks do help you just to have a sense for, to your point, when someone's coming outside to look at it, they're not going to want to be above those, you know, industry norms, they're going to want to be in, in those ranges. And to your point, you know, maybe it's fine for you to pay them because you're taking money in different ways or, you know, you're you're legally structured differently. But when that buyer comes in, they're going to have to continue to pay those staff wages. And, you know, it is good to monitor. So we try to work regularly with um, our clients to make sure they're kind of keeping those um, expenses in line and just taking a look at them at that, not always making a major change, but, you know, making sure when you're adding on new staff, is that going to change you know, those percentages. So we definitely look at that and, and try to help our dental clients keep those in line. So that's very useful information. Mm -hmm. So when you are considering selling your practice, is it a good idea to bring on an associate um, to eventually purchase the practice where you can kind of train that person over time and then sell that practice to them? And, and what do you recommend on that, um, on that front? Yeah, so th this is a, a very tough, question. I, I believe owners should hire associates if it makes sense for them. I also think they should find a buyer if it makes sense for them. When you combine the two, it, it really is a very complex situation that requires a lot of analysis and planning. So I'm not going to go into the whole uh, kind of how, how to hire an associate and make all those calculations and what that means. Uh, that could be for another episode, but I, I've spoken to, to many, many doctors that kind of romanticize the idea of hiring an associate. And then in, in five to 10 years, they have this expectation that they'll automatically be the buyer of the practice and all will be good. And they'll walk off into the sunset. And, and, and sadly, I, I've spoken to associates who have worked for a doctor for several years and 
uh, worked under those assumptions and the sale never really materialized and they're just kind of waiting. So I, I think I don't think there's any malintent from from either side when that occurs. I just think not enough thought and planning had gone into it. And, and it does go south like any any relationship without it being kind of clear on what what it means for each party. So my point is, if you're planning on hiring an associate who you intend on will eventually buy the practice, I would try to have everything in writing ahead of time, like their compensation, the appraisal methodology, and the timing of exactly when the sale uh, would occur. That way, expectations are clear, everybody knows where they stand, and there's no surprises in the end. But in my opinion, you're better off hiring associates for the purpose of doing dentistry. And then when you're ready to sell, go through the normal practice transition process. If you want to approach your associate at that time and it works out, great. If not, it's not the end of the world and you can move on and find someone else. So bottom line, just do a lot of planning, carefully think about it and seek advice and uh, don't yeah, just romanticize I, it. You know, I can see how to, you know, again, expectations change over the course of six months, a year, two years. So what you you know, what that associate may want to do when they start may change a year later or two years later. So even though it may have been their plan too to, to buy in, maybe things change that they can't. So I can see making sure you have good communication if you're going that route to, to, to be sure like, hey, this is the intent. Let's discuss it again in a year and make sure we're both still on that same path because maybe things change. So mm -hmm. I can see how that can cause issues. And then the the selling doctor is frustrated because he has this plan in place, like you say, and then all of a sudden he doesn't have that plan in place. And so then suddenly he's got to do more work than he had anticipated. So I can see that that becoming, you know, a challenge and, and frustrating. So that sounds good to it sounds, you know, like you said, if you do have associates, that could be a great opportunity for them at the time, but just bring it to them when you're ready. Mm -hmm. um, that sounds like good advice. Yeah. Now, if you do go through and, and you intend to sell your practice and you get that all finalized, what would happen to your staff, you know, in that process? Is that something you can negotiate as the seller? Is that something the buyer has control of? Can you tell me about your experience with that? Yeah, so it's, that's a sensitive topic for both parties, because uh, oftentimes the, the, the staff has been with the practice for a long time working for, for the doctor and the buyer is nervous because they've never met the staff and they don't know how they're going to respond to the new ownership and all of that. So, so it's, it, there's a bit of a, a finesse and you got to kind of make sure you, you manage the situation well, but most of the time, everything, as far as the staff is concerned, will stay the same for a while meaning maybe six to 12 months. It is in the best interests of the buyer to keep everything the same for a bit and not rock the boat. You're, you're buying the goodwill of the practice. You're buying the cash flow, the stability, all of that. So you're not, it, it could work if you want to completely change things up, but why, why are you buying the practice? You know, just leave it the way it is for a bit and make some thoughtful changes. That's our advice. So, from a seller standpoint, we don't recommend telling your team until you're you're nearly completed with selling the practice. Most people don't like uncertainty and change. So when let's say you tell them, "Hey, I'm putting up the practice for sale," they might fear that their job is in jeopardy. Uh, their role is going to shift. They're likely going to start looking for new work because they just don't know what's going on. And uncertainty drives people crazy. So, uh, and if 
staff starts leaving and there's a, a fair amount of turnover, it can spook the buyer and jeopardize a whole deal. So our opinion is the communication has to be very carefully managed. We recommend waiting until you're pretty much about to sign all the paperwork, then announce to the team, invite the buyer over, make sure that they can have a chance to, to meet each other and the buyer can provide some assurances to the staff that their role and their plans for the future uh, are kind of aligned and everybody's on the same page and they can just focus on continuing the relationship. So it's, it's tough, but it, it has to be managed. You can't really do any of this abruptly. And so it sounds like the buyer doesn't necessarily get that opportunity to meet the staff prior to either putting in the offer or, you know, finalizing the sale or can it be contingent upon that or? So generally, no, they don't. And that's, okay. that's, the, yeah, that's it's a strange part of this whole process is you're, you're buying things on this on, on a little bit of faith. And we do have situations where the staff does know, and it actually worked out okay. But the, typically, we, we, it's just too risky for the seller. If they're notified and everybody leaves, the whole deal is, is over. And so generally, if it's done right, everybody sticks around, everybody's fine, and then the buyer can decide how to integrate everyone. There will be inevitably some turnover. Some people if they're accustomed to doing things a certain way and they've done it, like let's say it's a, a non-digital practice and the owner, the future owner wants to convert it to digital, that that is a normal change. That is a, an expected change. And if someone's just adamant about not doing that, then and there's a nice way of, of asking them to, to go find another opportunity and be supportive and all of that while you find somebody that, that can do what you need them to do. So it's management by buying you're becoming a manager and a boss so you got to learn how to do all these things and and uh i'm sure all the business owners you work with uh it's no different than than for a dental practice Uh, you're still managing people and staff and emotions and all of that yes exactly yes i actually have a new endodontist owner that is starting so he hasn't i don't believe he's met the staff and and it's going to be starting in september so it's definitely um an area of concern, but it, it does seem typical that the staff stays on from what I've experienced and seen, you know, sometimes after a month or two, somebody leaves because maybe they don't, you know, they don't jive with the new owner and it's just not a good fit. Um, but I've seen most people are staying on for some period of time. To your point, it's really helpful for that transition. Those people know what's happening. They're familiar with the patients, mm-hmm. you know, they can help you with that transition. So that's definitely what we've, you know, what we've seen is that most people stay on. And at some point, sometimes there's somebody who's just, like you said, not a good fit. And typically, either that person decides on their own that it's not a good fit, or you might have to have a discussion. And we do talk to our, our dental practice owners, you know, that they are a business owner, too. So you've got to handle some of those tough conversations and, and different things. But you really need to do what's best for your practice in the long run. You don't want to keep somebody on that, you know, you're miserable going to work every day and it's just not a good relationship. So it may be an uncomfortable day or so when you have to do those things, but in the long term, you know, for the long term success in the business, it might be necessary. So yeah, absolutely. And for your endodontist client, I would encourage him to carefully 
plan this with the, the seller. And when the seller is ready to notify the staff, I would encourage him to be a part of that discussion so he can be present during that time and he can start introducing himself and they just feel at ease. So if seller notifies the staff and then a week goes by, that's one week of uncertainty on who, who this person is. So ideally you kind of keep it close together and, and I'm happy to, to chat with them too. If, he, if uh, he'd like some, some input from my experience. Yes, I will give him that advice and, and we'll, we'll see, I'll, I'll find out what the situation is and, and I will, I will provide that information for, for him. Is it really necessary to hire an accountant and an attorney if you're going through this process or, you know, can you do this on your own? So it's not necessary, but strongly recommended. And my favorite practice transitions are, are those that where the buyer and the seller have hired a good advisory team and we all work together to get a deal done. I recently did a transaction where the, the seller didn't have an attorney and it was a little messy. I, I'm, I'm not able to provide legal advice. And so all I can do is deliver the contract and, and say, you have to read it and decide what you want to do. And, and so he's acting as the lawyer and there's a, a few other things that go into it that the lawyer does that are very important. So we still got it done and it all worked out, but it didn't go as smoothly as I would have liked. And and the your, your accountant can advise you on the uh, tax implications of the sale. And so to me, that's very important because you do want to understand what will happen afterwards when you have a windfall, I guess, uh, of income and also how you're maybe if you're working for the new owner, what, what how your tax situation is going to change because you might be collecting, uh, you might be a W-2 employee or a 1099 and, and all the all the deductions that you were doing when you were a business owner it may not apply to, to the new situation. So again, it, it, hiring a good team helps because you, you kind of have all your ducks in a row. Now, I really, really like it when the buyer has a good CPA or consultant or bank banker because they can help them analyze the financials of a practice they're thinking of buying. So for most buyers, this is their first time owning a business. It's not easy to understand a business tax return, what all these numbers mean, profit and loss statements, practice reports, et cetera. So, I mean, we put together a fairly good pro, pro forma and outline that that shows how much they're going to earn. and and all the details, uh, and it helps them in their decision-making, but it's so much better when they have a third party that they can lean on, that can independently review the opportunity and, and give their kind of unbiased uh, advice. And and then they feel confident in, in proceeding in, in the transaction. Yes, it's, it's definitely important to have, I think, those right areas of expertise to help you along the way, because you know they can really help you avoid a lot of pitfalls that you don't know about because you've never bought a practice before, but they've seen a million times because they've gone through those processes. So I definitely think, you know, we always recommend, you know, when I was talking with this endodontist early on, I was like, you need to get an attorney. And I do feel like, you know, they are very conservative with their money and are very concerned with how much they're spending. And I was like, you need to, to have an attorney, you need to have a CPA because what you think is expensive to pay for is going to be, you know, could be so much worse if you don't make good decisions from the beginning. So we we try to make sure that, you know, they're thinking through that and and realizing that their time is valuable and they don't have all of these, you know, this expertise. And the same reason we go to a specialized, you know, a specialized dentist for a root canal is the same reason you want to call up an attorney or, 
you know, get somebody to help advise you on selling your practice, you know, and, and the accounting side as well. You're just as a dentist, even as a practice owner, you don't have that knowledge and experience. So you really want to get that on your side to your points for the buyers to have that information and they feel comfortable knowing that they're happy with the transaction um, and they're not having any doubts. So, yeah. And, and, uh, and I should point out that the structure of how the transaction works is typically the buyer drafts the purchase agreement and all the contracts. So the seller receives them. So the buyer has either, I mean, finds a template, which would be a nightmare. If you're an endodontist, your time is much better spent doing root canals than doing legal work. And, uh, but, but they have to do this very carefully because it could be 30 pages long and this they're, it could be spending hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars on on this. And a good competent attorney could cost a few thousand dollars, but at least you have the, the peace of mind. So I, I, I've never done a transaction without the buyer having an attorney. The seller can sometimes get away with it if they just want to, I don't know, read it and, and not worry about the risks of, of not uh, considering some clause that they didn't really think about at the time. So then do you recommend that people have somebody help them with selling their practice? You know, if they feel like they know someone who's going to buy it and they can reach out to them or, you know, just where do they go and and how do they go about that? You know, as far as selling their practice, either on their own or again, with the assistance of some expertise. So you can certainly sell anything on your own. Uh, It's, it's just not easy. Uh, just like you can sell your car, your house on your own, uh, it's easier said than done. Uh, many doctors try to do it at first so they can avoid the broker fees, but then you have to be prepared for the countless tire kickers that start calling and emailing you. And it, it's really hard to know who's serious and who's not. And selling a practice is a lot different than selling an object like a house or a car. It's a business, it's an organism, it's, a, it's your livelihood. And Potentially, you're working with your future employer here if you're going to be working with them. So, and on top of all of this, the whole process has to be secret and confidential. You don't want your patients, your staff, or competitors to know that you're you're selling. So, it's really difficult to do that when you're the one taking calls and responding to emails and and attempting to vet uh, potential buyers. I mean, the cat's out of the bag as soon as you pick up the phone. They'll figure it out. They can figure it out from your cell phone number, your email, who you are, what's going on. So not trying to plug myself here, but if you are interested in maintaining the confidentiality of your identity and financial info, and, and if your time is extremely valuable to you, then I just recommend hiring someone to represent you by bringing in only credible vetted buyers and, and just kind of helping shepherd the, the deal through. Finding the buyer is, is there's a lot of people that can say, yeah, I'll, sure, I'll buy your practice, but all the details, the terms and all of that have to be negotiated and carefully thought out. So it happens a lot. Someone's like, hey, I found someone. And then two months later, you hear it, it all fell apart, uh, fell apart because they, they didn't think about something. And, and it just, it, and, and there's no, no one kind of guiding anybody on this whole thing. So it just falls apart. And, and lawyers, they're great. But you have to give them direction. So you have to send them the terms of the deal. Otherwise, you're paying them to negotiate everything. And it's hundreds of dollars an hour to do that. So your, your best bet, hire somebody to, to handle 
uh, a lot of the details, hand it off to the attorneys to, to kind of take what you've already negotiated and turn it into a binding contract and then move on with your life, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, continue with your career. Yeah, that's good advice. Again, I go back to bringing in those advisors. I know a lot of people are concerned about spending the money, but it's really worth having those people who have, have the experience, have seen it, have done it, and again, really help you along the way because there's so much you probably already don't know. It's really nice to have that peace of mind, you know, when, when going through the process. Yeah. For anyone that's even apprehensive about it, go take the meetings. They're free. And you can, you can actually learn a lot just by speaking to people that do this for the initial consultation. So you can speak to three different attorneys and three different bankers and three different brokers, and you'll glean some, some insight and see what, what's consistent between them. And, and you walk away with your own conclusion, but it's just like a, a professional athlete doesn't negotiate their own contract, even though they're capable it's important to have an intermediary. It's a very powerful thing. Like it doesn't even have to be a, a broker. It could just be anyone delegate to your brother-in-law or something and say, you handle this. You be, you act good cop, bad cop. It's, it's a, it's kind of a performance here. And, and so you need somebody to, to do that. So don't let it be you, let it be somebody else, your son, your, you know, your son-in-law, anybody, but, they're going to have the burden then of, of doing this for you and they're going to resent it. So <laughs> if that's the case, you, you probably will have to pay them or you're going to have to hire professional help. But regardless, just have somebody else do the, the brokering and the negotiating. Yeah, I think it's a good point that you make, though, too, to, to talk to a few different people. You know, if you are looking for an attorney, if you are looking for a broker, talk to a few people because you'll know who you mesh with better and who you you enjoy having a conversation with. And, you know, that kind of can give you that peace of mind as well to know like, oh, I really liked talking with George. He was really easy to talk to. I want to, you know, I feel comfortable calling him up and asking him a question. So it is really important to talk to different advisors and get a feel for what they have. And, you know, when we talk to people, we definitely give some pieces of advice, nothing major, but, you know, it is helpful. You can start to get questions you should be asking, things you should know. Um, so that can be a really valuable tool as well, just talking with them, as you mentioned. So we are coming to the end of our time today, George. Are there any key takeaways you want you know, dental practice owners to be thinking about as they're considering selling their practice? Yeah, so uh, I, someone will come ask me if they, they should consider selling now or wait, and they're going to retire eventually. And they ask me what, what they should do. And I always tell them, it depends. It depends on your priorities. Uh, my recommendation is always to start uh, exploring the idea before you're cutting back your schedule and changing your lifestyle or doing anything that would reduce the revenue of the practice dramatically. Because uh, the reason is when you when you cut back, your, your fixed costs and other expenses are still there. And typically they still increase because you have to give raises and rent continues to go up but revenue decreases, so your profits can get squeezed over time. It's, it's slow motion, and I, I do see it. And, and I usually see it at the end when it, it's too late. So uh, at first, you might be fine with cutting a day, and you're like, hey, I make a little less money, but I'm in a good position. But slowly over time, those changes can really impact the value of your practice. So I encourage 
uh, everybody to kind of think about that before cutting back. And, and so if you're, you're adamant about cutting a day, I suggest talking to an advisor and analyze your practice. There is a way you can get the most money by cashing out now while the practice is at its peak. And then you can structure a deal so you can stay on and work for the new owner for a few more years and maybe reduce your schedule over time and you continue to earn income. Just because you sell doesn't mean you have to stop working or earning a living. There is a way to time everything perfectly so you maximize your earnings and then can phase out at your leisure and make the most of the practice transition and live the lifestyle that you want. So there is a way to have it all. It just takes time and planning. So I, I encourage you to talk to as many people as you can to figure it out. Yeah, well, we love that. You know, we're always talking about not just looking at your practice for the profit, but also wanting to, you know, live the lifestyle you want. And so that's a great point to make too. Maybe you do want to sell it now. You just haven't thought through it enough and it makes more sense and you can have that more relaxed lifestyle. As you did mention, the practice that endodontist purchased was having those same things. The revenue had been going down year after year, and that doesn't put that seller in a great position to to get a lot of money or, you know, a lot of value that they could have. So I think that that's a great point. Mm -hmm. um, to end on. Um, so for anyone listening today to George and love the information that you heard and want to reach out to um, him directly, George, can you provide some information on how, how people can do that? Yeah. So they can uh, call me. My phone number is 630-440-4644. They can email me at george at jrossianassociates.com. And of course, visit our website. You can see our numerous testimonials and the doctors we worked with and the cool projects that we've been a part of. So it's, uh, I have a lot of fun having these initial conversations. So there is no harm in, in having a conversation and everything we talk about is confidential. That's the nature of my business. So that's how I have to keep it. So thanks again for having me. This was a lot of fun and I hope to do it again sometime. Yeah, it was great chatting with you, George. I learned a ton of information. I hope we've shared some Great insights for our listeners. So thank you again. Have a great day. This has been another episode of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, rate, and review. Gain access to additional free resources and learning opportunities by visiting pjscpas.com forward slash podcast.